Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. When our kids were younger, they, they'd love to go see uh, Christmas lights, uh, go pack up in the van, maybe some hot chocolate, and go see some lights, go have a look. And to see these lights, to see these yards, uh, just amazing. It's amazing to see the, the beauty and the magic of it all. It's amazing to see how much time people have on their hands. Uh, I, it's just amazing. Um, some houses don't just have lights, though. I mean, they're, the, it, it goes to a, another level. And, and, and some houses, they'd have these big, beautifully wrapped uh, Christmas presents, these beautifully wrapped boxes that look like Christmas presents, I should say, well-wrapped, beautiful bows, sparkling. And again, when my kids were younger, uh, Josie, our, our, our youngest, I mean, they're like jaws would drop when they would see these gifts. And, and Josie, I remember she said, she goes, won't someone steal these presents? And, you know, is that what you would do? And... Uh, <laughs> And I had to explain to her, like, they're not concerned because there's, there's nothing in the box. I mean, there's these beautifully wrapped on the outside, but with nothing on the inside. I think a lot of times we, we, can, we can view the name of, of Jesus that way. Like, especially in this time of year, the sentimentality is, is through the roof and this beautifully wrapped box, but we, we've ripped out the, the meaning of, of what it his name means. And so I want to take a few moments to do that with you today to, to understand like this is the name above every name that at his names the angels sing and the demons shudder. So let's look at his name. Jesus, his name, as you saw in the text, was that he is the one who's going to save his people, specifically save his people from their sins. The word, the name Jesus uh, means God saves. He's the one who saves, saves his people from their sin. I think it was week one where we looked at the job description of Jesus, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, all throughout, you know, sometimes you'll see this in a, a nativity scene or it's, you know, on a t-shirt or whatever, like, like Jesus is the reason for a season. Anybody see that? Jesus is the reason for the season? I, 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 don't, I don't know that that's true. Um, what do you mean, Brian? Well, you know, he's awesome and everything, uh, but he is the best. But it's not so much Jesus is the reason for the season. But I, you and I are the reason for the season. It, if we didn't have sin in our life, he never would have come. He, he, was, he didn't come for himself. He came for us. We celebrate Christmas, yes, because he came, because we needed him to come. Not to like, you know be like a big present wrapped in a beautiful whatever, there's meaning there. And the meaning is, is that we really needed him to do this. We needed him to come and save us from our sin. We are the reason for the season, and thank God he came. He's also Emmanuel, and this is the one that I think is worth Exploring a bit more, uh, John Wesley, where he was buried, it was said that at the time of his death, the last words that he said is, the best of all is this, that God is with us. That God is with us. What does it mean that God is with us? This name, Emmanuel, in Jesus Christ, you have the most unique person in all of 
human history, fully human, but fully God. He has everything that makes God God, and he has everything that makes man man. In one moment, he can be hungry, and the next moment, he can feed 5,000 people. In one moment, he could be thirsty. In the next moment, he's walking on water. Uh, in one moment, he's learning. and the next moment, he is astounding people with his wisdom. He is the son of man. He is the son of God. He dies on a cross, and then he gets up out of the grave. He is both fully human, fully God. He never wrote a book, uh, but more books have been written about him than any person in human history, and it's not even close. He did not travel more than 300 miles, some say really 70 miles from the place that he was born. And yet, there's not a place on the globe that doesn't know about the name of Jesus. He is not just a man. He is the God-man. He is completely other. He is the, uh, he is the uh, creator and sustainer of the universe. He is outside time and space. He is outside time and space, but on Christmas, he became one of us. He entered our time-space world. He is fully God. He is fully God. Remember in uh, eighth grade, or excuse me, 11th grade, um, uh, history, uh, our teacher took us to this museum. She was all geeked out about Egyptian history, and there was this mummy display. Um, and so we went, and uh, she was all impressed. Well, I wasn't impressed, but you know, got us out of school, so I'm, I'm good with that. But there was this one exhibit and if you've been to a museum, you've seen stuff like this. Uh, it, there's like this area where it said, like, do not enter, right? Not for public viewing. Staff only. I think one of them said dangerous. I'm like, all right, that settles it. I'm in. I'm going. And so me and my crew, we, will, we go back there just to see what we're not supposed to see. And it didn't take long for security to come and escort us, you know, grab us by the ear or whatever they did back then, and to take us to our teacher, who was embarrassed and, and not happy and we got in trouble. Um, but I, when I think about how um, Jesus was or how God was before Jesus showed up, is was like that. Like there's this big, if you read the Old Testament, there's this big area called God that says not for public viewing. Uh, do, not, do not enter. Uh, only, only the staff, only special people, only my staff can go back there. You know, it's even dangerous. Like if you touch this mountain, you know, it's, something bad's gonna happen. If you mess with the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence was, something bad was going to happen. Do not enter. Even John 1.18 in the John's Gospel, it says, no one ever seen God. Up to this point, no one's ever seen God. Even Moses, like the great Moses, he, he just like his glory, not even all of who he was, his, a glimpse of his glory would, would pass by, but he had to hide Moses like in, the clef, in, in a cliff so he wouldn't get destroyed. You read about Isaiah in Isaiah 6. He's in the presence of God, and he's, man, he's in serious trouble being in the presence of God. Jesus comes on the scene and essentially says, oh, you want to go back there? I'll, I can take you back there. You can go where no one has been able to enter. You can go where only the select few. I am opening up the door. I am widening the gate for all to come in. Let me take you by the hand. Let me take you behind the scenes because I don't just know who God is. I am God. This is all throughout the New Testament, especially in John's gospel. John 14, 9 says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
There's this oneness, there's this connection that he is fully God. Jesus is a self-disclosure of God to man. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He is the exact imprint of the Father. His presence that was once unknown, untouchable, unapproachable has now been revealed. Well, how did he do that? Uh, he did it by taking on flesh. He becomes 100% man without letting go of any of his deity. And if you think you're going to get a good explanation for how that all works, let me just spare you the disappointment. There's profound mystery in that. Profound mystery. The fact that God could come down to us and the fact that God could come down and go up, like those are mysteries. But I'll take a shot. Um, God uh, taking on flesh is what's called the incarnation, incarnation, that, that the eternal son of God took on flesh. Carne means meat or, or flesh. So you can have chili or you can have chili con carne. You can have chili without meat or you can have chili with meat. Jesus is God with meat. He is God con carne, right? Okay, so he's, I know it's the preexistent son coming to take on flesh. He is the incarnate word of God. And I love that name for Jesus, the incarnate word. Um, Rach and I, our first house was in Normandy around where Umsal is. And there was an all-girls school around the corner uh, called Incarnate Word. And it's just an, a phenomenal name. And, and I actually just love the, the names that, that Catholics give their church. I think Catholics name Church is way better than Protestants, um, especially younger Protestants. I mean, the names are like Oxygen and Tapestry and Catalyst. I mean, they sound more like boy bands and churches. And so, so I love the depth in that name, the incarnate word of God. So the incarnation is that God became fully man, and he went through all the temptations and struggles we do. He got hungry. He got tired. He got thirsty. He got bored. He had to learn things. Early on, he was dependent on his parents, just like we are, or some of your kids are. I mean, think about it. I mean, the God of the universe had his diapers changed. Um, he, he went through puberty. He went through junior high. He went through peer pressure. He eventually had to work and pay the bills. And I really want you to get this today. I want my kids to get this today. I want to grasp it more fully, because if you get this, everything that you're chasing, everything that you think is ultimate will begin to appear to you as ridiculous in light of the truth that the creator of the universe took on flesh, took on the stench of humanity, and went to the cross to die in our place. Because of the incarnation, the impossible became possible. The, the immense became a single cell. That the God who is separate became God with us. That the unapproachable became huggable. That the supernatural became natural. This amazing reality we call Christmas. It's so important that we don't treat Jesus, like, you know, some other teacher, some other prophet, you know, just like, you know, a good example, some other philosophy or ism. We need to see him. It's so important for us to see him as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who has all the power and authority, but who also became so close that he became one of us. And because he became one of us, he can be our great high priest. Um, who is the atonement for our sins. If he was not the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, there'd be no reason to worship him. 
and I wouldn't be here today. But he's not just God. He is God with us. This is what Christmas is, that he came, he approached. This is what makes Christianity uh, utterly unique. Like every religion has some way or, or method of, of us like somehow getting to God. Like, you know, this is, how you, this is how you get to God. We have to get up to God. But Christmas is that God came down to us. He is a God who comes down. He is a God who is with us. You're not here today because you're seeking. You're not here today because you've figured something out. You are here today because God sought you out. He found you and he compelled you. He won you and he brought you in. You're here because God came to you. You're not here because you have come to God. He's available. The word became flesh, John says, and dwelt among us. The message translation says that he took on skin and bone and moved into the neighborhood. He made his dwelling with us. Jesus, our Emmanuel, he is God with us. And he has hardwired every human being, whether they realize it or not, they have, he has hardwired us to have a close, personal, real, intimate relationship. Just the kind of relationship that God the Father and God the Son have. That is what he want, is inviting you into. I read this verse earlier, but I didn't read the second part. John 1.18, it says, no one has ever seen God. That's like the otherness of him. But check how close this gets. Who is at the Father's side? Now, I gotta be honest with you. It's not a very good translation. We use the ESV translation when we speak. If there's a Bible laying around, it's the ESV translation. But this is not a good translation. Um, the original New Testament was not written in English, as hard as that is to believe, uh, but it, it was written in, ling in, um, in uh, Greek. And um, um, this word, uh, at the Father's side, the, the, the Greek language is not, it doesn't say at the Father's side, but it says from his bosom. Now, those are two totally different ideas, right? Like David here, David is like, I mean, he's a great friend of mine. He is a lifelong friend of mine. Like, if he ever needs me, I'm there, but I don't want anything to do with his bosom, right? So, like, I'm just not ready for that kind of intimacy. And so, but that's the kind of intimacy that God wants with you. He, he's a friend that's closer than a brother. In fact, he said, he says, it's better that I leave so that I could send my spirit because I just don't want to live around you or by you, I want to live inside of you. And that's the kind of relationship that he wants, that he invites us uh, into. It's so important for us to know and experience his nearness and love, his concern for his life, that we don't live with a sense of duty, like, oh, I hope I'm doing good enough, and I hope he's pleased with me, but we work out from the basis that he is already pleased with us, like we learned in week two, that, that Jesus has identified with us, and we identify with him and that we would all experience the peace of God. He is God with us, which begs the question, who is us? He doesn't say who is all, but who is us? Who's the part of us? And more importantly, are you a part of us? How are you a part of us? This is, here comes the exclusivity that everybody's worried about, okay? And so, 
Um, God is exclusive. God with us is exclusive. It's not God with all. It's God with us. God with us is exclusive, but it's not exclusive the way that you think or the way that we typically think. Almost always, uh, when something is exclusive, it means that you need to make the grade. So Harvard is exclusive because you have to have certain grades to get in. Country clubs are exclusive because you have to pay the dues or you have to know the right person. Professional sports, uh, music, theater, movies, you have to have a select talent. It's exclusive to people who have the talent. What do you need to have to be a part of Heaven's Club? Nothing, but not a lot of people have that. The main thing that keeps people outside of us isn't that they come to God with too little, it's that they come to God with too much. Brian, what the heck are you talking about? Some of us come to God with a good life. You know, I've lived a good life and I'm a good person. God, you need to accept me. What do you mean you don't accept me? How could you not accept me? I mean, I'm earnest, I'm sincere, I'm good, I've done good things. Some of us come with good intentions. I'm not perfect, but I mean well. But the us are not the moral ones. They're not the wise ones. They're the humble ones. The ones that finally realize that they have nothing to offer. In fact, they're in such a desperate place that unless God intervenes, they know they are doomed. You know, this is one of my favorite songs is, um, you know, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful. And this line goes, Oh, come all ye, faith, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. It's just a, Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. What a, but a more theologically accurate song would be, Oh, come all ye faithless, joyless, and defeated. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. It's not as catchy. Uh, <laughs> but it's more honest and truthful. So the us is not everyone, but it is for anyone. The us is not everyone, but it is for anyone, anyone who would humble themselves. How can we apply this? Well, there are three ways that I would love for us to apply this. One is I would want every man, woman, and child to walk out of here confident. I want you to be confident. If this is true that Jesus is God and you have him, some of you need to take the limitations you have, that you have made about him and about your life. You, have, you put limitations on yourself. Some of you have problems and habits in your life that you've just decided this is the way things are and this is the way things are going to be. You don't, you're not really confident in life. You're not really confident about who God is. You're not really confident about yourself. But I want to remind you that like Jesus, you are a work of the Spirit. Twice in this text, it says that Jesus was brought to birth by the Holy Spirit. He was brought to birth by the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to the world through the Spirit, and that's true of you as well. When Jesus comes to anyone in history, it is always through a work of the Spirit. Every conversion is a virgin birth. It is a work of the Spirit. God did something supernatural in you. We don't 
receive this, as we learned in Galatians over the summer, by works of the law, that is human effort, but we receive this by a work of the Spirit, that we become new creations, that we become new people automatically in that moment. So like you have the thief on the cross, right? Remember him? He says, he calls out to Jesus in his humility. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, hey, you know, after you get baptized, although how as wonderful that is. It's not after you learn to pray, not after you tithe. It's in that moment, this, this conception of what God has done in you. Peter talks about it as a imperishable seed. It's not a perishable seed that's going to crumble in your life, that you can crumble, but it's imperishable. Mean that what's inside of you is stronger than what's outside of you. So when Paul says things like, you know, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, he's talking about something that is, that's bigger than you and bigger than us. It's a work of the Spirit. It's one of the reasons why Christians believe that um, life begins at conception, New, uh, your Christian life begins at conception. It doesn't begin 10 days later, 15 days later, when you finally figure, when, you, when there's certain signs of Christian life. It happens at, the, at that moment. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's why Paul was able to say, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We can walk out of here confident because what's inside of us is not perishable, but it's imperishable and it's moving and it's growing and it's overcoming the problems in our life. It also means that we put limitations, we can put limitations on the church, on what God can do through this church or through your group. God can do wonderful things. I hear sometimes people say like, um, you know, Christianity is under attack in America. That's bogus. That's baloney. Uh, comfort in Christianity is coming under attack. But Christianity knows no such thing. It does not have uh, an equal-sized uh, enemy. It, the gates of hell will not prevail. It will not come close to stopping what God is doing on earth. What God has put inside of you and what God has called us to do together, there is no external threat that can come close to what's inside of us and what God wants to do through us together. Doesn't, yeah, being comfortable being Christian, yeah, that's, that's under attack. But what God is wanting to put, what God has put inside of you isn't. You can be confident. I want you to be closer. Maybe you can relate to a God who is other, who is powerful, like, you know, kind of like the do not enter only for special people. And, you know, you may even come to people like me and say, hey, will you pray for me? As though your prayers don't work, but mine do, or something like that. In Jesus, he's God, but he's also Man, which means he's able to sympathize, that he can relate. So we can go quickly to him in a time of trouble. Who do you go to 
when you're in trouble. Most of us don't go necessarily to the people who help, but the people who hug. We go to the person who sympathizes. Um, the people who, and, and, and oftentimes the people who can hug uh, aren't usually the people who can help. And the people who can help, we really don't like because uh, they tell us what to do and they're not very nice. Um, but in Jesus, we have someone who hugs and helps. He does both. He is our great high priest who is powerful. He can do anything. He can help. But he's the one who sympathizes. He's not the one who says, ah, oh, when are you finally going to get this right? He, his mercies are new every morning. You cannot wear out his grace and mercy toward you. So you don't have to choose between getting a hug and getting help because in Jesus you have both. Finally, be a Christian. Be confident, be close, be Christian. Are you a part of us? It doesn't happen by association. Knowing someone who knows Jesus isn't it, right? I know someone who knows Jesus. You know him personally. Being a part of this, being a part of a church isn't it either. I mean, I love the fact that you're here today, especially if you laughed at my jokes. You're welcome anytime. But that's not what it means to be a Christian either. Maybe you're like Joseph this morning. Joseph's an interesting character. I mean, just seemed like a, he was a just man, it says. He was a good guy. He was a nice guy. And he was with, he was with the program until it got weird. Until it maybe cost him a little bit. And he's like, hey, look, I'm not going to like go up on social media and blow you up, Mary. But I'm going I'm 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 to I'm gonna be a good guy and kind of go out, my, out the back door here. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you're like, man, this is, I like being here. It's a good vibe and people seem nice and it's inspiring or whatever. You know, my kids need something, whatever it is for you. I'm good with this until it gets a little weird or until it costs me. And uh, I get that. And you need what, you need what um, Joseph needed. Joseph needed to hear the voice of God saying, hey, it's okay. It's okay. I know it's weird. I know it's going to cost you. But I'm with you. And I believe he wants to say that to anyone here who is willing to humble himself or herself. It's not that you have too little but maybe you came here with too much and you're okay until it gets a little weird, gets a little costly. But Jesus wants to speak to you and say, hey, it's okay. I've come. I've come. I've taken on flesh. I'm here for you. I'm here to save you. I'm here to relate to you. I'm here to bring you into eternal relationship. Well, I don't know if I have it. You don't, you don't need anything. Humble yourself.
said it earlier, we're not here. I'm not here because I'm not here because I sought God. I'm here because God sought me. We have this picture that I'm sure you've heard about, even if you've not read the Bible of Jesus. It says it in Revelation 3. It says, it says Behold, I, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus knocking on your door. This is not you knocking on Jesus' door. He is knocking on your door. If anyone, if anyone, if anyone would open the door, I'll come in and I will relate. I will come close. I will not say distant. I will not be like some figment of your imagination in some dusty book. I will become so real to you. And I will change you. And I will love you. And I will protect you from anything sad. That's what Christmas is about. That's what God with us is all about, is he wants to pull you in to that relationship. Why don't you stand? I'm going to, I want to pray and I just would encourage you to identify with the parts of the prayer that you feel led to identify with. Jesus, we are humbled. that you would become one of us. What an amazing reality. You didn't just become one of us, you became the lowest among us, born in some back alley in Bethlehem. Spent most of his formative years in Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? wandered nomadically throughout the Middle East. No place to lay your head. Died as a common criminal with no possessions in a borrowed tomb. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. If Jesus didn't sin, why did he die? He was not dying for his sin. He was dying for your sin and my sin. The grave could not hold him because he was not just a man, he was the God-man. Who made us faithful, who made us joyful, who made us triumphant. We were faithless, joyless, defeated. But in Christ, we are 
more than conquerors. Not because of us, but because of him. Because he has impregnated us with an imperishable seed. God, may we grow in confidence about what you want to do in and through us. God, may we be those that draw closer because you are the one who wants to sit closer than a brother, that we would just not be content with concepts and ideas and thoughts about you. But God, but because of Christmas that we can experience you. I just wanna pray for those who have yet to experience you. God, I pray that grace in the form of humility would fill this room. It's not that we have too little. God, we have too much. Would you give us the ability just to let go? To let go. The King has come. The King has taken on flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you, Jesus, that the, the wonder of Christmas that you came down knowing that we could never span the chasm between you and us. There's no amount of good deeds. There's no amount of effort. There's no amount of good intentions. God, it was your coming to us that makes this all possible. Jesus, may we not be those that look at you as some ornate, wrapped box, empty of meaning. But God, in this season, that we would see the true meaning of who you are and what you've come to do. Amen.